Sounds like he has got some inside knowledge on where the hot spots are going to be in Annapolis. And definitely we'll have to get JJ's list, maybe maybe make it like a little to-do list in Annapolis during Stag Bowl week. That sounds like a Stag Bowl week feature, right? If nothing else, I just want to know where's the best crab cake in Annapolis. That is almost all I care about. You heard it here first. Guaranteed crab cakes for Pat Coleman in Annapolis. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your semi-weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to this bonus episode. It's number 319, season 16, episode 19, your podcast for November 10th of 2022. I'm Pat Coleman, the guy who runs D3Football.com. I'm Greg Thomas. I write around the nation at D3Football.com. And Pat, you know we're getting to the nitty-gritty of the season when we're dropping multiple podcasts in a week. We've got a very special guest this week getting us ready for week 11 on Saturday and the main event this weekend, Selection Sunday, release of the D3FB32 hashtag. We're bringing it back. We're bringing that hashtag back. That's a 2015's hashtag is coming back for that. I thought the centerpiece of the weekend was going to be the Cortica Jug game. I, I thought we couldn't get more than three minutes into the podcast without talking about it. So I just do it right now. That game being played in Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. I don't know if that has been advertised, but just going to let the the listenership know uh, Ithaca Cortland in Yankee Stadium should be a great game between two 9-0 teams, two conference champions two teams that will be playing in the d3fb32 all you people out there who are complaining about where ithaca is ranked in the region two rankings compared to where Cortland is ranked dude just buckle it up on saturday and talk to us after that it is going to be raining all day in new york on friday and then they're going to play on a grass field in yankee stadium we are going to be joined here in just a couple of moments by J.J. Nekoloff. He is the Associate Commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference. But more importantly, in this instance anyway, he is the chair of the Division Three Football National Committee. Yeah, that's the committee that makes all the decisions that you guys blame us for on Selection Sunday. But it's actually that committee that makes what few decisions there are going into a field of 32 teams where 27 of them are automatic bids. That's right. Few few decisions indeed. They only get five elective choices here to round out the field of 32. With so few teams and with so many good teams possibly not qualifying through Pool A, those decisions are under the microscope and they work very hard to get those right and get the best five at-large teams that they can to get into the field. We'll be back to talk about more of that with J.J. Nekoloff coming up in just a moment. But want to let you know that this edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by the organizers of Stag Bowl 49. That is Friday night, December 16th at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland. Greg, we just want to really encourage people to make a plan, right? We just got through election day, right? Used to be in 2020, especially. Everybody's make a plan for how to vote. I want people to make a plan for how to go see Stag Bowl 49. Absolutely make a plan. It's going to be a Stag Bowl 49 kickoff. is going to be Friday night, but that doesn't mean that you couldn't spend the day doing all manner of fun things in Annapolis, seeing the... You know, visiting the the Navy campus, the Navy Memorial, Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium, City of Annapolis, a lot of great uh, things popping up there in the downtown area, in the area around the stadium where the game is going to be played. I'm starting to get very excited about uh, the event part of Stag Bowl 49, not just the game, but all of the other things that the committee has planned, not just for the student athletes, but for people coming to see the game. One of the things I was talking about when I went to 
visit the site over this past weekend was just seeing where the teams are going to come in. So we're going to bring the bus and we're going to park it up here at the top of this little rise. And they're going to walk past this Blue Angel airplane on the way down the hill and into the locker rooms. Really kind of brings home what a special site this is to have it at the Naval Academy. Absolutely. And we're moving around, trying new things with uh, the Stag Bowl, seeing different sites. Embrace it. Embrace the, the, the fun opportunities and the experiences that the student-athletes can have. Hall of Fame last year in Canton this year, really going to, sounds like they're really going to steer into all of the great history and, and those kinds of things that are offered at the Naval Academy. Watch for tickets to go on sale soon. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by J.J. Nekoloff. J.J. is the Associate Commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, and he is the chair of the Division Three Football Selection Committee, the National Committee Chair. You may hear that term thrown around. That is what this guy does this year for the first time. So, uh, J.J., appreciates you joining us, taking the time. And the first thing I have to ask, since this is your region and is the hot topic, of Wednesday afternoon is how did you guys get eight teams into your seven team maximum for region three? Sure. Well, Pat, good to hear from you, my friend. Sorry that it sounds a little bit like you're under the weather, but always happy to talk to you about it here. So yeah, hop right into region three here. So you've got four conferences that are represented on this, uh, in this region and there are four representatives. Then I don't get a vote in this one. So there is no tiebreaker vote. So you can imagine uh, how that comes out, how you get a tie with four people as you were at two and two. And it, there is nothing that states that this tie needs to be broken. So the committee itself, the national committee uh, left it where it was. And when we were reviewing things today, going through these first set of non-alphabetic rankings, if you will. So that's how we have eight teams there in that region. So um, whether Bellhaven or Birmingham Southern is the extra team, probably not super important, except that somebody gets the benefit of an extra result against a regionally ranked opponent, whether that's Trinity because they played Birmingham Southern or Huntington because they play Bellhaven in conference and for that matter, mm -hmm. Birmingham Southern non-conference. Correct. Yeah. So that that's in there. And I think, you know, when looking through that, we certainly talked about that because we're going to let unearth all this looking at not just region ranked opponents here from this region, uh, but in other regions and in cross region, we know how difficult that can be going and looking and trying to find all the pairings and, and making sure we do things right by that. Uh, but I think the comfort level from both the RAC and with the national committee was okay with the situation right now. And that's how we have our eight teams here ranked in this region at the moment. Backing up for a bit. I know we, we wanted to sure. start with the question that's on everybody's mind. Normally sure. I would start more general like, what do you, you know, your opportunity to kind of just talk to the fans directly unfiltered, um, unless I throw a drop or a sound effect in here somewhere. What do you think Division Three football fans should know about this whole process? Well, well, first of all, I would say that, you know, you and I talked, what, probably 10 days ago, and we just mentioned about how fun this season is. Just to be watching it from the side, you guys reporting on it, getting very in-depth, uh, us getting into the process of the RAC process, uh, the national committee rankings coming through here. So I think the thing to look at here is the individuals that are involved in all this are very into what we've got with Division Three football. It's not just coaches; it's administrators as well. They all have uh, they all have a stake in in what's going on here, and all have a pride in it to want to make sure they're doing the right job. And I think the toughest part about it is we're looking at so many really good football teams, and we've only got five really to pick. You know, and, you know, whether that number changes in future years or not, like we know next year it's going to be at four with the landmark coming in. So that number is just going to get um, tighter here, at least for another year before any sort of discussion about uh, expanding the bracket, that sort of thing. I know that's a popular topic of a lot of people, but there's no plan for that at the moment. Are discussions happening? Sure. Um, so these people are doing their best to put the regions together in a way that makes sense both for what we're trying to do about building a bracket that has some compelling matchups, but also practicality for the division, because we know that's certainly part of it when we get around to it, especially with football and the budgets that can come into play, uh, and get the and get the teams right. Now, not everybody's going to have the same opinion on that, and we fully understand that. Uh, we know that there are people that are still complaining from 2016 when somebody didn't get in. I'm sure that's, <laughs> that's a topic that goes through. We know how that whirls all the time from – from all the times we've been at Stag Bowls over the year, Pat, and we, we hear that all the, uh, often. 
Uh, but we're going to do our best to get that right. We're going to be well into the evening when we do it on Saturday night and then Sunday morning because uh, we've got some games that are going to have to go later once the the hosting opportunities for men's and women's soccer and field hockey and volleyball came out. There were some adjustments to schedules. So we know we've got an Eastern time game that's going to be at 7 o'clock p.m. now. So that's certainly going to impact. But we're going to do multiple, you know, in case of that game, just specifically, uh, Case Western and Carnegie Mellon, yep. we'll have multiple rankings put in place for who wins the game, who loses the game, what it looks like for the other teams around. So just know that the work is being done in the background. The All the pairings are being looked at, decisions are being made, and trying to be as consistent as possible from region to region when we go ahead and look at it. I think we talk about that, you know, with baseball umpires. You can be bad, just be consistently bad. Well, <laughs> we're trying to be good and consistently good in what we're doing. And you know, the you only have five balls and strikes to call here. Exactly. Basically. So that's the thing is, and we're trying to find one. And, and I think it's important for fans to know that there's nothing that says any one region has to have an at-large bid. And I think there's nothing that, uh, illustrates that better than we've got six regions and five at-large teams to pick. So we already know one region is not going to have an at-large. So the best thing that we can say, and it's a hard line to put it on, but if you don't want to have to worry about the decisions we're making, everybody's got to go out and win their AQ. And that's that's the system that we're under here right now. JJ, I'd want to talk about one of the changes to the the rankings this year. We, we got a, a cap of seven teams per region. Last season, we had some regions that had eight teams, some with seven. I think we ended up with something like forty-six total teams listed in, in, um, in a in a certain regional ranking. It gave us a little more data than we had before we went to the six regions. We were used, ranking ten teams. Now we're back to forty-two. How has that change that 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 uh, that change back to forty-two um, manifested itself within uh, the the regional advisory committees? Do you all like uh, that being closer back to the 40-ish ranked teams to look at, or did you appreciate the extra data you got with 48 teams? So I think it, I think you get different opinions when you ask different people about this. So I'll do my best to kind of give you a broad brush, and I think that's really where it starts. So we're at this position because there was a broad brush, a broad brush approach taken by the championships committee, if you will, for everything for division three. So everybody got a little bit of a tweak in a standardization, if you will, uh, about the number of teams that are going to be ranked. I think initially when we moved to, or we're talking about going to six regions and when the move was made, there were some people that were concerned about the number of teams that were now going to be ranked and what that would do to the criteria and what that would do to the teams that were eventually going to get into a placing. Uh, I think there was a bit of a comfort level that was established last year. And I think this year there are some people that will find it uh, appropriate that we're at seven in some places and others, especially the ones that maybe have more conferences with their AQs that can be on the board or whether the AQ is not on the board. I think it all sifts out by where the rankings come out, what the results look like. And we've got places where you don't have somebody's AQ on the board here in the regional ranking, a lot of places. Yep. So I think the results have kind of taken care of some of that, but there are some things like if you're looking at, we'll stay with region three, you've got four conferences, all four AQs are in there. They're one through four in the rankings, which is appropriate to where they should be. So the first at large, it's going to come off the board is the number five, uh, at least if, if things were end today in this ranking and there are two other teams in there and there's another league that doesn't have an at large, that's part of that. So I think that would be a concern uh, from some people with it. But we're doing the work in the background as well as there's always uh, we always want to have a couple other teams of who's the next one up on the board, because I think when we're doing that on our uh, inside of our racks, we're always doing that to go ahead and have an idea about what we might be looking at the following week. And if somebody gets a win, who could come on the table and who's going to leave the table, that sort of thing. So I think it's a, it, it would be an important feature to know that there are some others that uh, are being considered for, say, that final spot, that if we do get into a, a crazy situation where all three of somebody's at-large gets pulled out, maybe we've got another opportunity to keep another team on the table there. Because I think it's, even in the past situation, I think it's a common misnomer that you have to be on the table to be considered for an NCAA tournament or an NCAA Division three tournament. You do not have to be inside of a regional ranking to get into an NCAA tournament. Sure. Now it always happened. It always, it always has happened that way. I can't think of any other way where we've had 
a non-regional ranked team get into a tournament. And maybe, Pat, you do have recollection of something like that, but that's your best way, obviously. Yeah, not in football, but it's happened in some of our basketball. Yeah, it has in sure. some of the other ones, right? There's just not enough at-large bids available in football no. for, for that to happen, for sure. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask about, first of all, I wanted to explain uh jj uses the term rack that is a shorthand for the regional advisory committee there's a national committee which is one member from each of the six regions but then each of those six regional chairs has a committee that reports to them or that they manage that uh puts these regional rankings together which leads me to my question jj um you know when we look at the regional rankings kind of from the outside we see all six of them at the same time it's like it's very clear and I'm going to credit Greg for this because he said it on our podcast on Sunday um, that like region four, for example, you're going to, you can count on them for the last several years being very winning percentage first. It's like all of the unbeaten teams are going to go in some order first. And then only then your one loss teams, only then your two loss teams. And right now, anyway, region two looks the same way, but not everybody does it that way. And the reason I'm bringing this up is to ask, because sometimes in the past, the national committee has had the ability, the charge to go and maybe make some of those adjustments. And then some years they don't. And it's hard to know what we're like in any given year. So what is it like today? So it's interesting. You have some of that and you have some places where we did not make some adjustments. Um, were there a couple adjustments made? Yeah, there were a couple adjustments that, that, that I'll admit to being made in some of the regional rankings, but we've got, uh, some really good racks this year. I was on three of the calls yesterday. Okay. That the, so the racks are meeting on Tuesdays this year. So the last four Tuesdays of the year, if you will, or three Tuesdays of the year, and then Saturday, this coming one, the racks will meet again. So they've got four calls, a mock ranking to go through it, to do some training, uh, to make sure everybody understands what we're looking at, to tell everybody that if you think last year's results matter, no, they don't matter. You know, making sure we go through some of those real-world things that you and I may not think of uh, some people would think about that are on the racks, but we need to make sure that's right. And then these people work through the numbers, work through the win loss percentage. What is significant versus non-significant? Because when we're looking at the criteria, each one of those primary criteria numbers is supposed to be on an even kilter uh, when we're working through all some of that. So it's, it's an interesting piece uh, trying to be that from a national committee perspective, trying to be consistent with how we're looking at each committee, but then still taking the opinion of each rack, knowing that they're closest to these games and making sure we're using what they're telling us and making adjustments off of that and figuring out what their rationale is. So that's why it's important that each member of the national committee is the chair of their rack, because it's one thing just to have the rankings that are put forth by the racks, but now we've got somebody who can provide the rationale and discussion and things that were talked about so we know why those decisions were made or what they're looking for. Is there a little bit of a future look to, you know, what we're looking at here? Be like, if we've got two teams that are pretty close that look the same in the rankings, well, why were they in this position? Well, because maybe they play each other next week and that's going to sift itself out. Right. That sort of thing. Yeah. Some of the questions in the mailbag already are about Ithaca and Cortland. And I'm just telling them, you guys oh, are yeah. playing on Saturday. Go win the game and then come back and talk to us. Exactly. The Cortica jug is going to be, number one, it's going to be a great game. I mean, we've, at Division Three. I mean, it's, it's yeah. hard because we don't see it on ESPN in certain places. But we have got some really good rivalry games over the years. Some good crowds at places. I mean, this is my 17th year in the ODAC, so this will be... You know, we didn't play um, uh, football in the in the COVID year, so this will be what my fifteenth uh, Hampton Sydney Randolph Macon oldest you know game in Division Three in the South. You know, going through with yep. that, and that's you throw the records out. I know Randolph Macon has got the ODAC AQ all but wrapped up here when it comes to tiebreakers over Bridgewater. Uh, if Hampton Sydney were to win that game at the end of the year, but you've got a, a nine and O team and a five and four team, or a five and three or four and five. I can't remember where Hampton Sydney is right now, but. You throw the records out for that. Same thing with the Cortica Jug. Same thing with I uh, love to see what it's going to look like between Bethel and St. John's coming up. I mean, there's some really good games out there this weekend. Some that are maybe more high profile than others that have more fanfare. But there's a lot of them here that are going to play into what we have with the final rankings or for hosting situations, where they're going to be, who's going to get in, who's going to get out of that top seven. This is going to be a big weekend, just as the last three weekends always are when we do this, and it's a whole lot of fun. 
Well, let me ask you then that begs the question, what game are you going to be watching or what games are you going to be watching on Saturday? Uh, ODAC women's soccer. That's what I'll be watching. No, 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 no. <laughs> the day job. Uh, with all the NCAA tournaments. I know, right? Um, so I'll be in Indianapolis. Uh, the, the football chair is always in Indianapolis for when we start the selection so that I'll be there with the two liaisons that are working with us who do a spectacular job as well as we work through that. So I imagine we'll have several screens up and looking at a lot of these games as we go across. I'm probably just given that I have uh, region three to look at the most and eventually we'll have a call with those guys after their games are done on Saturday afternoon and evening. Uh, I'll probably look at those a little bit harder just to make sure I know what's going on specifically with that region. But then I obviously have to have conversations uh, like this with, with you, Pat, or with, uh, with Frank Rossi within the huddle and what they've got going on. So I need to have a knowledge base of everybody. So I imagine we'll have, I would say I'll, I'll have two laptops with me. I'm sure there'll be several ones there. We'll have a big screen up. We could have as many as seven games up maybe just, We'll work in the bandwidth at the NCA office. We'll see how good it is. Seven. Come on, man. Seven. Greg does. Greg eats seven for breakfast. There, there's what? only so many things I can do. I mean, the, the question is, which audio do I choose to listen to during <laughs> yeah. all that? For sure. For sure. Yes. It, literally for breakfast. It's it's morning, morning division three football for me out here in, in Southern California. Uh, JJ, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, strength of schedule didn't, and how, um, how much interpretation do you as uh, racks and, and folks that, that view this? It is a primary criteria, but how much subjectivity do you use with that? Because um, the, the strength of schedule number, I, I feel, is maybe maybe a good blunt instrument that gets you in the right direction, but doesn't, as a precision tool, doesn't always tell us everything uh, that we want to know. And how do, how do racks uh, use the strength of schedule and and... and use that criteria i think from sport to sport this is a different answer for you because i think if you look at football a win a loss is extraordinarily volatile with only 10 of them yeah. but you look at men's and women's basketball with 25 games you look at volleyball that's got you know dates of competition instead of the actual games are playing baseball and softball's 40 games coming across and yes double headers are a thing with that so we'd even skews it a little bit more in certain favors but I think you're right. I think it's a more of a blunt tool for football. Uh, we still use it. We have to look at it a little bit. I think it gets tricky when you look at some conferences that say, like the ODAC, we've got eight football playing members, so seven league games with three non-conference opportunities. But there's several leagues that only have one non-conference opportunity. So who are they able to go out and get? And I think that's what's been kind of fun about this year is we've seen some really good non-conference games that happened at the beginning of the year. Oh, yeah. I mean – yeah, I, there was there were some great matchups there that we normally haven't seen. So people are trying to find those games. I, I wonder in the future what it happens for the AQ number, the automatic, uh, automatic qualification number for conferences falling from seven to six teams to get that AQ, what that continues to do with being able to find non-conference games if there are more leagues, because that's certainly a travel consideration. COVID plays into that with budgets for schools. Uh, but I think back to the SOS piece of it, as I went on a tangent there for you, sorry about that. Um, but we certainly do look at SOS. And I think the hard part to be is when we're looking at it and comparing it to the other criteria, where does it become significant? What's the difference? Is is it, you know, when we're looking at it, looking through the SOS, is it points? So like if somebody has a 400 SOS and a 500 SOS, we call that 100 points. So right. what's the, what's the significant of it? Is it 50 points? Is it 30 points? Is it 10 points? Is it 60 points? I mean, and then the type of victory that we're talking about, if it's a nine and O versus a seven and two, it better be a monster SOS difference to overcall that. But if it's a nine and O compared to an eight and one, what's the significance of the SOS comes in there. And then is there a regionally ranked win? Is there a common opponent that we can look at? And if all that stuff there is in a razor edge, do we have to go to the secondary criteria and look at that? I think the one place that we've got to be careful when you talk about subjectivity is that the wording says, you know, results is what we're looking at and looking at results of things. But whether you win by two points or by 30 points, that is not criteria. It's the winner, the loss that is the criteria. So that is new to us. That is news to us every 
other chair who we've talked to in multiple sports over the last 10 years or so has said there is definitely a difference. And I would think that I see the result of it in this regional ranking, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, we got uh, Cortland uh, 1, and we've got Susquehanna 2, and we've got Ithaca 4 in the in Region 2, for example. Susquehanna, narrow victory over St. John's, over Johns Hopkins, excuse me. I have to go back and edit myself. This, Keith, <laughs> I hear you, Keith. I'm not going to edit myself. Um, you've got Cortland blowing Utica out, right? And you've got Susquehanna edging Johns Hopkins. And even though Susquehanna has, I don't know what's significant. I'm hoping you might tell me what's significant in strength of schedule. They have a small edge there. Otherwise, I am seeing Cortland on top. And the one thing that's different to me is that that result against a regionally ranked opponent is an overwhelming victory on the road. And Susquehanna's is a narrow victory at home. You're telling me that that's not actually being here for the first time ever. I'm hearing this. (laughs) I think what's interesting is that uh, the subjectivity comes in certainly because we're humans when we're looking at all this. So yeah, I think there's naturally going to be some in there. So Pat, when you say it's, it's the first time you've heard it, maybe it's the first time it's been heard in words there. So there's still, there's still the human factor that comes into play here, but generally when we're looking at this and looking at the regionally ranked wins, as well as the position of the teams that they beat in those regional rankings. So was it the number one team in a region was it the number three team in a the region they beat that sort of thing, or, are we grading losses? We try not to do that. We don't want to grade losses so much. But if we're splitting hairs on some of this stuff, trying to find the right spots, you know, looking at the things that we can from as from as objective as a view as we can uh, for where these things are going to be. So do the results come into play when it's real world? So, yes, I would say they probably do the actual scores of the game, but we try to take that into account as little as possible. Because when it comes down to it, it's the win or the loss, not the score of the game, because there's sometimes the details that we don't know on some of that. Now, that's where Iraq can come into play here, where they've got the the closeness of the games, looking at some things here. But the things that we definitely want to keep out of it are discussions about so-and-so's got a great quarterback, or they got the best secondary we've ever seen, or their offensive line just mauls and, and that sort of thing we don't know how that stuff kind of stacks up. So that's the subjectivity that does not come into play score of games. I think we're humans and we look at that and we see it and it's an easy factor. And if somebody beat has a common opponent, they beat them by this and beat them by that. Uh, I think that's certainly something there, but we're going to do our best to keep it to the win loss result of that contest. JJ, I want to talk about um, bracketing for a second. Um, How much, how much, bracketing in advance do you all do how much mock bracketing i know we still i mean there's not there's but so much you can do we still have over half of the field that hasn't qualified yet we don't know who a lot of these teams are going to be but um how much sort of mock bracketing and sort of thinking about pairings and pods do you do at the at the national committee level in advance of saturday night and sunday um at this time of year I can tell you that the only thing that we've done is bracket with bracketing right now is making sure that we can log into the system correctly. So there's no, (laughs) there's no pre bracketing that has been happened yet. Now, when I get there Friday and then get into the office there on Saturday, we'll start looking at it and talking at it and seeing some of the things, the things that we know already, who are the AQs? uh, If there's some early results that are in, or maybe we're just, you know, being humans and predicting that that game is going to come out with a victory, then we can start to put some things in place. Obviously, if there's an upset uh, or an, an upset, then we certainly won't, uh, you know, we'll need to go ahead back and make adjustments and putting things, uh, putting things back in order where they are. But we'll start to work on that a little bit throughout, especially as we get later in the day, when we get to some of those teams that we know that we're going to have to wait for some results. But we also know that some of those later results they're going to play into who could possibly host and where they're going to be. So we've got to wait uh, for some of that to get into it. So we're going to be doing not only selections there, you know, as late as 10 o'clock, we can get some things with those final games coming through because that case Western Carnegie Mellon game, I mean, that's, that's a big game for a lot of reasons. So it's something that we got to wait on to do. So we can do a certain amount of work with it, but eventually we need to make sure that we're also doing what's right. Cause I think, so at a conference office, what we hear a lot of times, and, you know, Pat, you can certainly talk about your complaints about conferences playing championship games on Sundays and what it does <laughs> for creating brackets. I know you love that Oh, topic. man, you, 
you just took my uh, you took it right out of me. Go I ahead, know. JJ. Take took it. Your, took your thunder right there for you. But yeah, what we need to make sure is while certainly we want to do the work in a timely manner and in a way that makes sense for us and that we're not all exhausted when going ahead and making these decisions, we need to make sure that we're allowing the games to happen. So you'll hear conversations sometimes of, well, playing a conference championship game on a Sunday really hurts them because the national committee has already put things into place. Well, that's not happening. Whether that happens or not with other sports, I don't know. That's not going to happen with football. That's not going to happen with this committee. So we're going to make sure that we get it right with making sure all the games are done. They're all considered where they should be. And we're doing our best to compare the teams when it comes to uh, setting up a positioning system for who's going to host uh, at any given time. Because I, it, it's one thing to go ahead and compare teams within a region and in Iraq. It's another thing when we start crossing things up and trying to put all that together, too. I'm going to take this opportunity to go into the mailbag. Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Tiresome. You know how this works. We throw out the call on Twitter. We ask people to respond with questions using the D3FB hashtag. In this case, we have a special one where we threw that out there on Wednesday night and people responded. I have a tweet here, JJ, because Twitter is still viable, at least for the moment, uh, from Antion Cuff. He's a, a frequent uh, frequent questioner for us, at CuffyCakes08, who asks, I'm going to probably paraphrase this a little bit and use uh, some real-life example from last year, but will seating or home field advantage between two teams in opposites in, in, in different regions, will they be compared head to head on the criteria or will they be basically compared head to head on their rankings? So like if team is, you know, ranked number two in region one versus someone who's ranked number four in region two, do they get compared just on their numerical ranking or do they get compared on their strength of schedule their uh, results against division three opponents, common opponents, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we're going to take all that into play. I think it's not one, it's not the other. It's a combination, a little bit of everything. There's certainly, you know, when you're ranked in a certain spot, it, you get to, we get into the rabbit hole of what's a stronger region than the other region here. What's stronger is is region three stronger than region five is region six stronger than region one. So then what is the, and I would say JJ, it doesn't matter if region X is stronger than region Y. Like all that matters is, is team X stronger than region Y using the criteria that are set out for you, right? Correct. Correct. And that's so when we're looking at the criteria, that's what we've got to fall back on. We've got to fall back on that criteria because really the criteria is supposed to be the ultimate leveler, right? We're supposed to be able to come back to all this stuff. And that's the way that we can look at these teams from region to region, cross region, inter-region. So we're going to fall back on that criteria and people are going to have numbers associated with it in there so criteria is the is the easy answer for that that we're going to look back on and make our decisions going through some of that could there be some positioning about within the region because do we say you know this is region one versus this i think that's that's an easy way to go back and look at it well you know if i'm looking at um 2019 when it was bridgewater and delaware valley just because that's the odak one and that's what's in my head here right now that's a heck of a game in the first round and it is what it is because travel was associated with it. We had a Delaware Valley was maybe three in that region and Bridgewater was two in the other region. So that's probably why maybe that's why Bridgewater hosted that one instead of Delaware Valley. I don't know. I can't remember the situation. I think the poster child for this is last year when UW lacrosse went to Albion and Uh I could not for the life of me find any reason why that should happen, except that Albion was ranked higher in the four than lacrosse Mm -hmm. was in the six. Even though and there was a common opponent there, which was, I thought, super instructive and didn't seem mm-hmm. to be uh, didn't seem to be referenced. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it, it comes into play. We got to look at all of it. And I wonder if that's a place where maybe uh, uh, committees are different. Maybe the 2010 committee did it different than the 2015 committee. That sort of thing. We'll have to look at. It. I say 2010 because that's probably where my boss was involved in that one. Right. I'm literally talking about 2021. So you were. Oh, no, I know you are. I'm just, okay. <laughs> I'm, go, I'm going around from from region to region. No doubt about that. No doubt. Yep. No doubt. Yes. And we've got, we've had a great, we had a great fun the year that your boss was uh, the national committee chair as well. That's Brad Bankston, the then and still commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference. Yep. Very, very helpful that year as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you one more mailbag question. Sure. All right. 
from Ron Berger, R-B-O-E-R-G-E-R. You folks can look that up on Twitter. He asks, how does the National Committee address situations where the regional committees have deliberately gamed the system? And then I'm going to say here, you may not want to say deliberately gamed the system. So I always leave that up to your interpretation. But a little more a little more clarity about what happens at the national level if you think the RAC has done something to maybe unfairly prop up one of its at-large contenders. Sure. So that's that's part of our process when we're going through the orientation is making sure that we take into account what's actually really happening in these racks. So we've said it a couple times and looking at it and making sure that we're not specifically taking a spot to have an at large, say, is the number two in a region when they really shouldn't be there because there's value to each of these ranking positions here because technically you know who's in those top ranking spots maybe that those are the ones that are favored to be hosting in hosting positions that sort of thing because there's a region why they're ranked one two or three instead of five six or seven so you would say that that's a hosting position here um when we're talking about at is getting on the table as well whether they're ranked number two or number five if they're the first at large in the region they're getting on the table so it pays to do the to do the ranking the way that it actually plays out with the results because there's benefit for everybody in that ranking for being in a certain position certainly would an at-large love to be a number two up there yeah because it, it, it'll look better for it but if it says that like we've got i think here in region three that we've got one two three four are aqs and that's the way it, it looks like or at least according to the rack and confirmed by the national committee that those teams should have been in the region, then there was no gaming going on about trying to pull somebody up. I mean, if, if there was an effort to get a Harden Simmons up there at number two, all right, that's the gaming of the system. I think this person is referring to, correct? I don't so, know that that's necessarily the case. I think okay. when we talk about in the D three world, the poster child for what is considered potentially gaming the system is getting wash U into the final spot in region five last year and propping up uh, Wheaton's candidacy. I think that's what people, gotcha. okay. whether we consider that gaming or not, I'm just saying that's what people are generally talking about. Trying to do something like that. So I can tell you that for a, fa for a fact, at least in the, the, the ranking calls that I've been on with Region 3 and the couple I've been on and the other ones, there's no decision being made to, well, we if we put this team here at number seven, it's going to make this team at number two look that much better and solidify their position. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you at least from the conversations I've had and the orientation stuff that we've had with our people, that the integrity of, of what we're doing is solid. JJ, you talked a little bit about hosting and we don't know who all is going to host next weekend, but we do know that Annapolis is going to host yep. the the finals. This is going to be the first year that the Stag Bowl is going to Annapolis. Uh, you as the chair, certainly you've, you've had a lot to do with the site work at Annapolis. What can you tell our listeners about Annapolis and what, how do you, how how are you anticipating uh, Stagwell Forty Nine? Well, we going? did a a site visit there in August, and I got to tell you, I was impressed. I've never been to Annapolis before. I think it's a pretty cool place. Uh, we went uh, had dinner at one of the new restaurants down there. They've turned the downtown area, which is really a nice place, a good walking area, lots of shops, lots lots of restaurants. But they turned an area where it looks like it was a traffic circle or something like that into more of a walking commuter area down there so there's a whole lot of space uh that can be used i think some of the restaurants during covid use that space for outdoor tables and seating whatnot so there's things to do that'll be around the game as well not to mention uh getting access to the naval academy to go ahead and take a tour of the facility i mean that hit a little bit different when we're walking up to the second level of the athletic department and we've got a blue angel suspended from the ceiling hanging above us i mean yeah. it's a different place uh so we're looking forward to that aspect of it but Getting to the stadium and the facility, you know, I think we're going to have a, a, an outstanding opportunity there to showcase in our game in a place that kind of reminds you a little bit about what we had last year with the Hall of Fame and an NFL caliber type stadium with, you know, the grandstand and different things. Um, there's a little bit more history to um, this one here when it comes to the Naval Academy Association with the, the battles, the foreign battles that have been fought there on the side walls. You can see them all there. So any of our signings that we're going to do, we're going to work hard not to cover that up. We're going to try to make sure we're 
we're paying respect to that. Um, we'll have the guys over to the stadium for the meal that'll be coming that's uh, that's paid for through the NCAA. Uh, either we'll be downstairs in a room that they've got that has a lot of history. I mean, they've got a plaque, and I can't remember, and I apologize if the plaques have a photo or not, or or maybe a uh, an emboss an embossing of the team photo, but they've got something commemorating every football team that has been there at the Naval Academy down in this room. So that's kind of cool. But they've also got a room that's upstairs on the other side of the field from the main press area that overlooks the field that is very nice and kind of a cool place to uh, really showcase it from a different angle. So I think there's some cool things around it. I think Annapolis is a nice place. I think we've got some good hotels chosen, not just for the teams, but hotels are um, a host headquarters for certain places. I think it's going to be a really neat atmosphere for us and one that I hope uh, they enjoy putting it on as hosts with the game with our our friend Ed Hoddle, the head coach at Stevenson, and and the crew there uh, with the Stevenson Athletic Department being the Division Three name that's attached to it as a host with the Naval Academy. Uh, I hope that they enjoy the process of hosting us. I hope our people enjoy being there because I can see it as a place that we would go back to in the future. Yep. We'll just have to hope the weather being there, you know, on the water. If it's a cold, windy day, I mean. It's interesting. We had we had ideas of possibly getting a practice or two um, on the actual Naval Academy grounds. Now, access is tough with that, getting through security and that sort of thing. So we're not going to be able to make that happen, but the teams will still be at the at the stadium and it's going to be pretty cool atmosphere. I know I did my walkthrough just this past weekend. Yep. I was very impressed with what I saw as well. And I, yep. I'm happy to hear someone in the committee uh, talking about going back because I I know some of those decisions get made here pretty darn quickly uh, before everybody in this cycle even gets a chance to host one of them. Yeah. Now we have to redecide what happens next. Pat, I think that's interesting because I mean, we've had, you know, we were in Salem for 25 years and obviously we're going to go back there for, for stag ball number 50 next year. And I think that's a, just a good honorary moment. That's certainly where, yeah. you know, I made my name with this, you know, hosting 12 stag balls through the, through the uh, association with the ODAC and the city of Salem. Uh, but I think there's some people that have liked the idea of moving it around a little bit from a logistical perspective. Each time it's new uh, is a little bit different because even though you've got places that are certainly familiar with hosting big games, and we know the Naval Academy's done that, we know Canton has done that. Uh, even the people down in Shenandoah, Texas, who hosted it down there for a couple of years, they know what big games look like because football's ubiquitous in, in te with Texas, so it is what it is. Um, but there are still some logistics to work out, so. I think there's some people that like that it's moved around. I think some people would like to go back to a couple places. So I think you'll start to see that a little bit. You know, we'll go down to a new place in Texas. I can't remember if it's the year following that we're in Salem next year, if we're back in Canton again. Uh, but I know that we're going to be going back to Texas at least somewhere. And we're going to go back to Tex uh, to Canton again. And we, I could see going back to Annapolis another time if there's a buy-in from both sides to do that. 23 is in, uh, is in Salem. Of course, 24 is in Humble, Texas. 25 is in Canton. Yep. And then, uh, and then we're open for suggestions. I think, you know, I, I came to peace with this eventually JJ and, and I, you know, obviously I think this hit folks in your part of the division three world even harder. Right. But I did yeah. see that, you know, moving it around, there's some benefit to that. It's just, you know, in two year chunks. So you get to use some of those learnings, from year one to do it better the next time would be super sure. helpful. You guys as a national committee uh, are, are having to go and train new hosts every single time, basically. Agreed. And, and I think, you know, shameless plug here for a little bit, but when we were in, you know, Salem for 25 years, I was there for half of those, but you've got people who've been doing it over and over and over again. They know their roles. They know the different things. And with folks like Carrie Harvey cutter and John Saunders with the city, and John Shaner with the city, and even getting to, you know, my boss, Brad Bankson, who's those people have been there for every single stag bull that was there in Salem. Right. They've been there for the majority of the 100 national championships that have been in Salem. You get people who know what they're doing. So, yeah, there's there's some benefit to familiarity um, with. But we also got to work to not let it get stagnant, to not let it, you know, get caught in the weeds. So that's why one thing I thought Salem started to do a pretty good job of, not just with the facility going from grass to turf to updating the locker rooms to doing certain things around the, the championship experience, which really has become the blueprint for a lot of places to do some things and then continue to augment themselves. So I think we've done a pretty good job of that 
with the stag bowl both when it was in salem but every subsequent area that we've gone i think you're right has been taking from those past experiences and building upon those and i think you're right that that gets better if we're at a place for either a second time down the road or two years in a row that sort of thing it certainly helps with the familiarity piece this next question is from logan hansen uh at loghan ratings people are probably familiar with him uh, how do the committees compare results against regionally ranked opponents across regions when there's a significant difference in the quality of the number six and number seven teams in different regions? Yeah, I think that's a difficult part that we're looking at is, is we've got to find a certain spot to be as consistent as possible when we're looking at those types of things. And some of it, it's it's going to come back to where we were with the criteria. And I think we're very real about how we go ahead and take a look at at some of those games going through with it. Um, but still, you know, we know that the Division Three philosophy has an inclusive nature to it. Um, so still being um, respectful of where somebody was within the region of where they had to play, because that's that's part of the difficulty of what we've got in Division Three. Everybody wants to try to compare it to the Division One CFP, looking through where where the budget numbers allow teams like allow things like USC becoming part of the Big Ten, you know, that sort of thing, or 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 Rutgers becoming part of the Big Ten, going to the other coast. Um, that's not a that's just not a factor that we can do in a lot of places in Division Three. So, so we still have to be respectful to the games that they can play based on what we have. But then when we're on a national term perspective, we've also got to be very real about the types of teams that we got there. And doing our best to kind of have our cake and eat it too with having that respect piece to it, but still building the compelling matchups uh, and a bracket that makes sense both competitively and in practicality perspective for the division. I, I had been told previously that it's not even really just Mary Harden Baylor is one and one against regionally ranked opponents. It's more like, yeah, Mary Harden Baylor beat the region three number five and lost to the region six number four and that's seems to me a much more you know uh holistic to use a buzzword a more holistic way to look at it no good word and i think and i don't think you're wrong there i think we do do some of that i think it, it has to when we get down to it there has to be some of that in there it's just where does it stop when we're looking at it? I mean, some of it's easy. If it's a one versus a set, one from one region and a seven from another, that's an easy one. But how do we compare the three from region X versus the four from region Y? Yeah, that's that's where it gets a little tougher. You're right. And because travel and budgets are things that we have to deal with, and when you get to the edges of the regions, some of those could be butting up against each other and good travel games for the bracket. Um we have to deal with that, no doubt. All right, last question for you. We are now 90.5% of the way through the season. 1090 out of our 1,205 games have been played. Ooh. And only now are people getting to see an actual regional ranking. Doesn't that seem wrong, frankly? I know this wasn't foisted on the world by the Division Three football committee, so I feel like I can come to you with this gripe, for lack of a better term. Right, so and we've already griped at the men's basketball committee about this a bunch. So it's not like sure. it's not like they don't know that we know that they're responsible for this. Yeah, I, I think um, when we're looking at it, it depends on how far we want to go. See, football is so difficult because let's say we were going to start it in week four, or week five, and start giving rankings. All right, hey, let's 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 yeah. just be realistic all i'm asking is Agreed. let's do our alpha a week earlier ah. and then give us one more numerical ranking that's all i'm asking for it, it could be something to look at i don't know what the what the research is behind what makes it the right time to start the rankings three weeks out is four weeks out maybe a little bit better or is it still too volatile to do that um certainly something that can be looked at i would say I think we always look at evaluating things. Maybe the Constitution new coming up is is a way to is another way to go ahead and evaluate a lot of things. I mean, case in point, we talked earlier about we're all at seven seven rankings now in the region. So, is that something else to be looked at? Could be, possibly, and we may bring it up and it gets poo pooed off the board right away. I'm not sure, um, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't have a good answer for you there of what is the correct date to start it i know that where we start it now has been at least where it's been since i've been around 
and we do our best with it to come about. Now, the alphabetic ranking, I think you'll get a different opinion from a lot of people when it first came out. You know, I kind of personally, I kind of rolled my nose at a little bit here, but I can see some of the value in it, especially when we get to places where we're looking at games and how deep are some conferences in, you know, to their conference play. What does that look like when compared to the other criteria? Some some conferences are really into it. Some are just two or three games into it when we start looking at that and doing that initial mock ranking. So it can get uh, it can get a little difficult. Yeah, you're right. JJ, I appreciate your time. You've given us a good 40 plus minutes uh, to talk about Division Three football tonight here on a random Wednesday night. I know we're not taking you away from a Browns game on a Wednesday, so uh, hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully your Browns give you something to smile about. I don't know. Hey, they were unbeaten last week, so that is what it is. I guess you know, on the bye, that's really easy to do, right? No, I, I would just, I would just say, uh, just appreciation for uh, what you and Greg and Keith McMillian and Frank Rossi and everybody at D3Football.com, D3Sports all together, bringing in, you know, Gordon Mann and Dave McHugh and what you guys have done over the years. Uh, just thank you for the coverage on, on things like that. I know that we've got kind of a uh, – uh, trying to ask some of the hard questions and still trying to uh, make sure we get the story right uh, for some of these topics that we talk about and, and putting our people in the right light. I think we've had an exceptional Division Three season – and I look forward to hopefully being able to do justice with that as we do our best when we build the bracket and release it to you guys now at 5 o'clock on Sunday Eastern time. So 5 p.m. Eastern times when that comes out. Uh, I think it's it's kind of cool because part of the reason, I'll give you the reason for why that's moved up to, to 5 p.m. is we're working on making sure the technology is right because we've got a team that's an AQ now that's, that's Gallaudet. And we've got to make sure we've got the closed captioning that it's going to be great for them so they get the coverage and they get the excitement that the same experience that everybody else gets. Hell yeah. We're working to make sure that technology is correct so that we've got the time to make adjustments if we need to. So that's why we're going at 5 p.m. now on that Sunday. I know that when we do the the meetings with the 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 hosts so that wherever Gallaudet is involved, we're going to get interpreters for those meetings to make sure they're good to go um, and just try to do as best as we can. So the experience is ready for everybody. And that includes them being inclusive of a school like Elda. Very cool. Thank you, JJ. Looking forward to seeing you in Annapolis in about five weeks. Hey, hey, five weeks, really. That's how close it is. Greg, first off uh, again, just to thank JJ Nekoloff for spending so much time with us on a uh, mid week evening when there's so much else going on especially for a chair of the national committee. What I, one of the things that I just jotted down was I am just so glad to think that the committee also thinks this season is just as exciting as we think it is. Yeah. We've been talking about it every week. We get great games every week. We, we say this, how can this season get better? And then it does. Uh, the committee is seeing that it's great to hear that they're enjoying all of these great contests and great finishes and exciting games that we're seeing um, no doubt makes their job a little more difficult with all of the, uh, intertwined data that we see the intertwined results and data that we see with teams in the regional rankings. But um, at the end of the day, it's about really good entertaining football and, and the experiences that the student athletes are having and, you know, shaping up to be hope, hopefully that what we're seeing in the regular season carries into the tournament and we get four or five rounds of really great division three football. That would be awesome. I don't know that the first round is always great Division Three football. There's like four really good games, one in each bracket, and then, you know, a lot of uh, teams getting eliminated, which is what happens. Half the field gets eliminated every week. I want to go all the way back to something we talked about near the very beginning of this interview to talk about results against regionally ranked opponents. Not only have I not heard it described the way that JJ described it for us on this interview. I have heard it voiced exactly the opposite, explicitly saying that a blowout win would be valued differently than a two or three point win. And I don't think we want to get into splitting hairs between, you know, a, a 14 point win, a 17 point win, a 21 point win. But in cases where it's obvious, we just don't have a lot of data. We've only got 10 games, sometimes nine to compare teams with. How can we ignore information that's out there? Yeah, we've definitely heard 
chairs tell us previously that they will sort of dig into deeper the the results the context of results not necessarily a strict margin of victory analysis like a, a seven point win and a 10 point win or maybe not something that you would try and parse and separate with any significance but a you know a two point win at the end of the game or uh versus a, a result against a common opponent that has uh, several touchdowns of difference. That's definitely something that we've heard chairs say they take into account. And here this week, we're hearing no. We're hearing the win or the loss is the result that you can take into account, not necessarily the score of the game or the margin of of victory or the margin of defeat there, um, but that you can look at the wins and the losses and maybe you can separate and parse out some things whether your win or loss is against a number two ranked team versus a number seven ranked team like those things would be different but not necessarily the size of the result yeah that's i mean it's a it's a little troubling i think that is data that's out there to be used and unfortunately greg what i have heard also over the course of the past couple weeks is not only is that what the football committee is being told but that is coming down from the division three championships committee which is like a level above all of the sports committees you're not to use this in any of your committee conversations across all sports all year in a basketball world where you've got 25 games and maybe 10 non-conference games that's fine in a baseball season where you've got 40 games and 16 to 20 of them are out of conference yeah that's fine there's a lot of data there there just isn't that data in football and i hate to see some of it being eliminated just because Somebody again in division three wants to make a blanket statement about everything that doesn't work for football. Yeah. And here in football, like you said, there's just not enough data and it seems like we're leaving, leaving some valuable information on the table. I've always viewed the, the, the RACs, the advisory committees as a group of people that do the nitty gritty work and look at those details. Uh, Not because the national committee can't watch, you know, 111 games every week, but those, regional committees who are watching the 40 or so teams in their regions. Those are the, those are the kinds of details that I would hope that those guys are looking into and being able to find differences and being able to parse things out so that maybe you don't wind up with something like two teams tied for seventh in what's supposed to be a seven team ranking. Just as a hypothetical, right? It certainly did not take people super long to spot an eighth <laughs> team in what we were told were going to be seven team rankings. I did think that JJ answered that question well. I I'm not impugning the integrity of of the Region Three Committee. The National Committee didn't see a reason to ask them to break that tie. Some of the things that teams are playing for on Saturday. Now that we've had a chance to look at these regional rankings, right? So Carnegie Mellon has already clinched its automatic bid. Carnegie Mellon now. They've got their bid, but really need to win on Saturday night to have any shot at a home game. They're ranked number third in Region 3 right now. As a reminder, there are six teams ranked third in regions, whereas it used to be if you were ranked third in a region, you'd feel pretty comfortable about getting a home game unless you were in Texas or the West Coast. In this case, maybe not so much. Carnegie Mellon really needs that W. If you're ranked third now, you're sort of in that strata of teams where the, the cutoff between home games and not home games are going to live. Carnegie Mellon, it sounds like win, probably going to host, lose, most likely not. Interesting to hear hear the chair tell us specifically, here's a game that has hosting implications and we're going to have eyes on it on Saturday night. Region 4, of course, a region which nobody has clinched yet. Albion and Alma, second and third in Region 4. But uh, Albion with a pretty good strength of schedule, you know, all things considered, Division three wise, Alma less so. And then behind them, Mount St. Joseph, even less so. I don't know where the cut line is, but I don't think that any of the teams in region four right now have any breathing room. Alma doesn't win. They're not going. Mount St. Joe doesn't win. They're not going. DePaul doesn't win. They're definitely not going. Albion, maybe. Maybe that's not any different than we talked about on podcast 318, but now we see rankings that really etch that in something resembling stone. We do. And I think I think last week I was maybe slightly more bullish on on the chances of an MIAA team to be uh, a legitimate pool C candidate a little bit tougher this week since uh, Trine lost and dropped out of the rankings. Now you have uh, John Carroll and Baldwin Wallace in the rankings. 
Uh, and it it looks now like Albion would be the best Pool C candidate, but losing in Week 11 is not the way you want to go into that conversation. Um, it looks like they would be the best Pool C candidate, but here they're Albion's looking at a situation where if they were in Pool C, they're going to be 0-1 against regionally ranked opponents having lost to Alma. I think they are likely to be the top at-large team in Region 4, but against the rest of the field for one of those five bids, a little bit uh, shaky on the resume for Albion. JJ talked a couple of times about placement of at-large teams in these regional rankings. And, you know, I think just speaking hypothetically about putting your at-large candidate in the number two spot in the region, but there is one of those that we should probably talk about, and that is Kings. Kings 8-1 and one, uh, with a 5-14 strength of schedule. You know, the they have a win against a regionally ranked opponent because Stevenson is in this ranking, and they lost to DelVal, who is the number one in this region. So it's a loss to number one. It's a win against number four. A pretty pedestrian strength of schedule. And JJ also talked about the fact, you know, just as a reminder, right, there's five at-large teams and six regions. So there's no way that every region will get an at-large. And I suspect, you know, if we do end up with multiple at-larges out of region six, which is a very viable scenario, then, you know, there's two regions who don't get at-large teams. I just don't really know what to make of Kings other than the fact that the region one regional advisory committee, that rack has done a really good job of positioning Kings to be considered. Of course, should they beat arch rival Wilkes in the mayor's cup on Saturday? Yes, they have. They've placed Kings at number two, whether you, uh, if that's how you would vote in this set of seven, if you would pick uh, Kings number two or not Endicott, let's say, but Kings at number two, here's region one. They're putting Kings out there with uh, Stevenson ranked fourth, which means, I mean, Stevenson's going to be ranked here. They're in the clubhouse. They're done. They're not going to move out of these rankings. And region one is saying, we're going to, this is, Kings is our second best team that we believe in our region. And we're going to have them on the board for five rounds. Say no to Kings five times is really what they're doing here. And on paper, they may be viable within five rounds. We'll see, you know, we'll have to see who else is in pool C on Saturday night. And then Harden Simmons. I mean, they are obviously slotted right now as the top at large team in region three, which is where you want to be. I don't know that these criteria look super great right now. 489 strength of schedule. I think it really hinges on whether Platteville stays in these regional rankings and for Platteville to stay in the regional rankings, they're going to have to beat lacrosse. And if they beat lacrosse, then that changes all sorts of things in the pool. See, I know that we are also talking about the teams that are ranked today will also be considered ranked at the time of selection. But then you're considering Harden Simmons with a win against number eight or number 10 or something like that in region six is not nearly as impressive. It isn't. I think Harden Simmons, the Platteville result that they have is really a nice piece of leverage that they would have when they're, on the board being compared with say Bethel. If Bethel uh, does not win the MIAC Harden Simmons on the board, Bethel on the board, and you've got Harden Simmons with a 40 point win at Platteville Bethel with a 10 to seven loss also at Platteville. So that would be advantage uh, Harden Simmons per primary criteria of common opponent. And you very rarely get a common opponent as you're going through pool C conversations in football. That's for sure. Obviously, there's lots more to come between now and when those selections are announced at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday on NCAA.com. We'll have a link for you on the front page of D3Football.com to make sure that you get all of that information that you need on all the things that are still coming. It's a big day on the website on Thursday, the day that this drops. You've got this podcast with a lot of uh, really good insight from the National Committee Chair. You will have a feature story from Brian Lester with uh, the Borgerding brothers, the uh, Aaron Borgerding, who is the starting safety at UW-River Falls, and Sean Borgerding, who is the starting quarterback at UW-Stout. Those two teams play each other on Saturday. And we'll talk about, you know, those guys going up literally against each other. So keep an eye out for that. And then, Greg, what's coming up in the Around the Nation column on Thursday? Around the Nation this week, we are going to take a look at the 6th Street rivalry. 
Claremont Mud Scripts and Pomona Pitzer are playing on Saturday in one of the n- numerous games uh, that are head-to-head matchups to decide conference champions and playoff bids. I have talked to both head coaches, a couple of student athletes on those teams, and we're going to get a little uh, Sixth Street rivalry preview. Claremont Mud Scripts is going to literally walk across the street to go uh, try and win that Sixth Street trophy back from Pomona Pitzer. As you said, one of a number of head-to-head games like that on Saturday. Then keep an eye out for our quick hits on Friday morning. That is our predictions for Saturday's games. And then, of course, Saturday's games. Keep an eye on Saturday's games. Bunch of games at noon because we're getting to the end of the season. We are burning daylight, folks. You want to get those games in and get them done without having to turn the lights on. Great rivalry games a lot of which we've already talked about. We haven't talked about Amherst and Williams because we're talking about the playoffs. But other than that, a lot of games going on on Saturday. So keep an eye out for that on D3Football.com. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 319, released on November 10th of 2022. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on all that coverage that I just talked about. You can support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash d3sports. And we're very thankful for all of your support. I know we didn't do a specific shout out in the rest of the podcast about this, but we are very grateful for your support, helping make some of these things happen. Uh, If you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, classmate, fellow alum, someone at your tailgate. I don't know if we're tailgating in the Bronx, but especially at $40 a parking spot, maybe we're not tailgating in the Bronx, but uh, every other tailgate. Tell them about the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. You can rate and review this podcast in the various places where those things happen. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. You know, a forum. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Damara O'Malley. Our theme music, you hear that. It's deep in the background. It's Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well, and you can find them at DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. Hell, you can find us on Spotify. Thanks to JJ Nekoloff for his time on this podcast. Thanks to Keith McMillan, the podcast co-founder. And thank you, Craig Thomas, for showing up on a Wednesday night. It's super helpful. Thank you. When the chair sits down, you don't miss that call. Sorry, you stay to the end of the podcast this week, and there's no cool bonus anything. Next week, though. I mean, I could go get that trombone. <laughs>